Today is week six in our Gospel of John series. And what we've discovered over the first five weeks of this series is that the Gospel of John is a book that leaves no space for middle ground. We've already heard many times during this series that the Gospel of John tells us there is light in the world and there is darkness. That there is life and there is death. There is flourishing and there is perishing. And as we've been saying each week, John continually challenges his readers to respond to this question. And the question is, what do you believe about Jesus? And here too, John says that there's no middle ground. Either you believe or you don't. And I've got to tell you that today's passage will be no different, really. Um, now, it is different from the other passages that we've looked at in John in the substance of what happens. But ultimately, it will ask the same question, what do you believe about Jesus? Are you in or are you out? Now, guys, I know that I've started rather seriously this morning. Um, that I haven't given you any stories or softened you up a little bit. I, I will say this, that I was told, and this is completely off script, um, I was told by our wonderful production people that my shirt makes it, the way the shirt shows up in the camera, it makes it look like I'm wearing a sequin shirt. And I'm just here to say that I can still rock a sequin shirt. So, and so, like if on the screen it looks like I'm in sequins, you better believe someday I'll show up in them. So I'm, but I'm sorry, and they're so kind to me about it and everything, but I get it. I just have the wrong kind of, never again will I wear this shirt. But today, we're going sequins. All right. But the reason I wanted to get right after it and be serious, uh, you see, is this. This passage, and by the way, it's the 11th chapter of John. It's the story of the raising of Lazarus. And it's a passage that has two really strong uh, distinctives. The first is, it's a tremendously important passage because it tells us about the final and the most stunning of all of Jesus' miracles, okay? This is the final one, and it is really stunning. And secondly, this passage next to the one in John that tells us about Jesus' death and resurrection is the longest passage in all of the Gospel of John. It's 54 verses long. The 11th chapter of John is important, and it's really long. And so I didn't feel like I had any time to warm you up on this. We need to get right to it if we're going to get through the whole thing today. So let's turn to John 11. That's page 892 in the House Bible, and we'll get going. Uh, before we do, uh, I, I want to welcome everybody that's online while you're looking it up. Welcome. And I just have to say this specifically. I'm pretty sure my wife, who's in California right now, it would be 8.30. Is it 8.30 there? I think she's watching. So, hey, Lamb, I love you. And then let me pray for us, and we'll get going. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we have it and that we can study it and we can learn so much about your heart and your love for us. I pray that everything that I say will bring glory to you today, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, as I said, this passage is called the raising of Lazarus, and by raising, it means from the dead. And as I said, this is the last place in this gospel where we see Jesus performing a miracle, and what a miracle it is. I mean, turning water into wine is cool, okay? That's cool, and giving sight to the blind, wow, that's remarkable. And feeding 5,000 people by multiplying five loaves of barley and two small fish, that is amazing. And walking on water, well, that's, that's just completely unexpected. But raising a dead man? Come on, now we're in a completely different territory, and it's territory that demands special attention. So here we go. Oh, wait, before we dive into the passage, I need to tell you a couple things about the first century Jewish world that should help make sense of some of the details in this story. First, and you'll know why I'm telling you this in a minute, first century people knew when someone was dead. The reason I say this is because this story takes place in the ancient world, and the people in the ancient world believed a lot of things that we know now aren't true. But that doesn't mean that ancient people were clueless about when somebody was dead. They knew when someone was dead, okay? Now, yes, there were times, occasionally, rare moments, incredibly rare moments, when they thought someone was dead and they weren't. Okay, but that still happens. And let's not be so condescending to think that just because people lived at a certain time, during ancient times specifically, that they couldn't tell if someone was dead or if they were alive. All right? But with that said, first century Jewish people also believed that your spirit, that which gives you life when you died, it hovered over a dead person's body for up to three days, hoping to get back in and revive that person back to life. And they also believed that after three days of decomposition, the dead person's face would become unrecognizable, and once the spirit couldn't recognize the faith, face of, a dead person, of the dead person, it would leave, and it would never come back. Okay, that's what everybody believed. I tell you this because there were dark magic sorcerers at the time that claimed to be able to raise dead people during that three-day window. Okay? But it was really creepy what they did to raise people from the dead. They always did it in the dark of night, and they would drill a hole into the body of the dead person, And then they would pour boiling blood and froth from a dog's mouth into the hole. I got to be honest, there's no uh, reliable record of this practice ever working. (laughs) I don't know why that always gets a laugh when I say that, but but, but we do have copies of the instructions for raising people from the dead. They say exactly this stuff. And also, uh, we have records, still have records of people hiring these sorcerers to try and raise their dead relatives. So while some who practiced the dark magic 
claimed that it was possible to bring a person back from the dead, everybody knew that after three days, all bets were off. And this is important to this story. So let's read verse 1 of John 11. Like I said earlier, this is a long passage, but here we go. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Okay, there were two Bethanies at this time in the vicinity, same basic vicinity. One was on the east side of the Jordan River near the wilderness, and the other one was on the western side of the Jordan River near Jerusalem, okay? They're about 20 miles apart, or what they referred to as one day's walk, right? One day's walk. We read earlier in John that Jesus and his disciples were staying near the Bethany on the east side, out near the wilderness, and that Lazarus and his sisters lived in Bethany near Jerusalem. Also, the word that gives us dear, when they said your dear friend is sick, it's the same word in the Greek that is used to describe John the disciple as Jesus' beloved friend. So we can tell from this that Lazarus was very dear to Jesus, and he was very sick of what we do not know. But this message from the sisters to Jesus said clearly that they wanted him to come right away so they could heal their brother. Verse 4 says this, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, saying Lazarus's sickness would not end in death most likely settled any concerns that the disciples might have had for Lazarus. The Greek tells us later in this story that Lazarus was their dear friend too. And I'm sure they were thinking, surely Jesus is going to go heal our dear friend. But the story changes quickly. Verse 7 says, finally, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, John doesn't tell us this, but it becomes obvious as the story develops that Lazarus must have died during the day that the messenger traveled from eastern Bethany to western Bethany. If, now think about this. If the messenger traveled that one day, then Jesus waits two more days, and then he decides to go back to Judea to see Lazarus, That's what? One more day? And that means that it would have been four days or one day past Lazarus' spirit leaving for good, or so everyone thought. That's when Jesus would show up, four days after Lazarus had died. Verse 8 says this, though, but his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, 
Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Now, you can read about the people in Judea trying to stone Jesus in the last verses of the chapter right before this one. And to be honest, the disciples objecting to going back to Judea makes perfect sense to me. But in verse 9, we read this. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. Now, I've heard lots and lots of people try to spiritualize these verses. But I'm pretty sure that all that Jesus was saying to them at that time was something like this. Look, guys, everything's going to be fine. We'll travel in the daylight. We'll stay away from the dangers of traveling in the dark. Come on now, let's go see Lazarus. Okay? But then he added this. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You know, people still sometimes say that someone has fallen asleep uh, when they mean someone had died, and this was a common phrase back then. And Jesus at first used this common uh, phrase, but it's somewhat confusing to say that someone has fallen asleep, especially when you know that in the first century, most people thought that, that when you went into a deep sleep when you were sick, that's when the healing happened. So like if somebody was sleeping and they were sick, that meant that they're going to they're get better. They're getting better. And you can see why this would have confused the disciples. But then Jesus made certain that they knew exactly what he was saying by, by saying, he said directly, Lazarus is dead. And then he went on to say something that once again probably confused the disciples. He said, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Now, Jesus clearly knew what was about to happen, even if his disciples were confused. And he also adds that waking Lazarus up from the dead will finally make believers out of them. And so now I guess we're getting to really to the real question of the moment for Jesus. Do his disciples really believe that Jesus can give people life? He'd been talking about it a life. I come to give you life. But now he's talking about as in life to someone who's been dead for four days. Do they really believe that he has this kind of, a, of power and authority from God? Well, verse 14 says that Thomas is thinking about something else. He says, it says, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. You know, we already know why Thomas was uh, less than enthusiastic about going back to Judea. He didn't want to be stoned to death. But at least Thomas was willing to, we call him the doubting Thomas. I mean, at least here he's like saying, hey, I'd rather go with you, Jesus, and die than stay here and live without you. But John doesn't tell us anything about that day of traveling to Bethany. Not a thing. The next verse simply says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. 
Now, Bethany was only a few miles, exactly two miles, to tell you the truth. It's two miles from Jerusalem. It says, it says, down the road from Jerusalem, and many people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Now, this gathering of um, many mourners was expected in the Jewish culture. We know a lot about Jewish funerals and a lot about their mourning practices, but for now, the most important thing to keep in mind is that whatever Jesus was about to do was going to happen publicly in front of what the Greek tells us was many Jews from Jerusalem. Okay? It's a big crowd. Verse 20 says, When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And Martha is certain that Jesus could have healed her brother, who, by the way, was probably about 32 or 33 years old. He was probably about the same age as Jesus. And it's interesting that we read nothing of any parents or other siblings in this story, and that most likely means that Lazarus was an only son, and he would have had the responsibility of taking care of these two sisters. This is a tragic death for Martha and Mary. But even in her great grief, what Martha says next shows that she still believed that Jesus had power from God to heal. She says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She still believed in him, even though she knew that what she really wanted from Jesus couldn't, be, couldn't happen because Lazarus had been dead too long. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. You know, Martha thinks that Jesus is trying to comfort her by saying something like, there's a coming future day when everyone will be resurrected and God's kingdom will come and then you'll see your brother again, you know, that kind of thing. You'll see him someday. And the Jews did believe that there was a coming day when God's kingdom would finally arrive and all Jews who had lived, who were, all Jews who weren't reprobate, would be resurrected and they'd all go back to Jerusalem and they'd live together forever in the new kingdom of God. And Martha's thinking, she wasn't thinking at all that Jesus could bring her brother, brother back from the dead right then. Not at all. But Jesus sure was. Look at what he says next. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes this will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Now, one thing for certain. Martha got that one right. This is about as strong a statement about Jesus as we find in all of the Gospels. She says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. But it's hard to tell what she was really thinking related to her brother being dead and all that because first thing she does is she runs off 
and goes and gets her sister. It says, then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. And I have to say that all of this going out, running in and out to see Jesus outside was highly unusual. Um, What was expected was for Jesus to go into Martha and Mary's home and give them his condolences. But these two women so respected Jesus that they broke all protocol. And as verse 29 tells us, Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, once again, the issue is, why didn't you show up earlier, Jesus, and heal my brother? We all know you can do it. Why did you not come in time? Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Now there's so much that we could say about these verses. For today, I think the main point for us is how much Jesus' humanity was on public display in this moment. It isn't a coincidence at all that there was a great number of people who were present to witness Jesus' tears over losing a friend. Nor is it a coincidence that some in the crowd were criticizing him in that moment. Still, Jesus simply grieved with these two sisters. And I have to say that's comforting to me in some ways, to know this is how Jesus' heart is. But let's move on to verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Now, scholars debate why Jesus was so angry. The Greek here is literally more like groaning, like a snorting stallion. Jesus comes to the tomb. Now, I can't tell you exactly what was going on with Jesus here, but it's clear that Jesus Jesus knew it was time for some action. Verse 39, Jesus says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Notice how many times we see four days in this passage, by the way. Four days. And you can see that ancient people knew he was really dead, okay? He hasn't swooned. He's not sleeping. and He's dead, all right? And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. I'm sure they did so very reluctantly, by the way. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. 
Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Okay then, what a moment. That would have been something to see. Apparently a big crowd of people saw it. Some scholars now, they focus on the fact that this is the only time in the Gospel of John that Jesus prays out loud before a miracle. Okay, I I could see why you'd want to talk about that. And other scholars, they focus in on why Lazarus came out of the grave, still wrapped up in his grave clothes, and yet when Jesus came out of his grave, he didn't have his grave clothes on. They want to talk about that. And I guess that's a good thing to talk about. Others focus on the fact, though, that we get no reaction from anyone other than John saying that many people believe in Jesus. You know, I'm just saying, you'd think somebody would have mentioned that they had some, like, happy applause or something when he came out or something, but we don't get anything, nothing, not a word. But what we do know from what we read later is that what had happened spread like wildfire, and well, it should have Jesus had given life back to a man who'd been dead for four days and a man who was known so well in the community that a great number of people were at his home mourning his death four days after he'd been buried, and this well-known man had been publicly raised from the dead by someone who certainly wasn't a magician. He hadn't drilled any holes in anybody or collected any dog froth. All Jesus had to do was command Lazarus to come out of the grave, and Lazarus came out. It's no wonder that the news about Lazarus blew up everywhere. And many people believed in Jesus. We don't have the time to talk about the next eight verses, but I want to summarize them quickly for you. It is true that a good number of people believed in Jesus following his raising Lazarus from the dead. But other people, particularly the Pharisees, were completely thrown off by this. Actually, to say they were thrown off is, is not the right way to say it. They were scared to death by it. They were so threatened by this raising of Lazarus. It threatened their power and their position. And John tells us that they immediately began to plot for ways to kill Jesus and Lazarus. They wanted to kill them both. And I don't think that John gave us these ironic details by accident. Once again, John was saying, there is someone who gives us life, but there are also some people out there who are going to do nothing but give you death. There is light in the world, and there is darkness, and again, it all circles around what you believe about Jesus. And speaking about what we believe about Jesus... Even though we don't hear a single word from Lazarus, wouldn't you like to know what happened for four days with him? We don't get anything. Nothing. Nothing. But my bet is, if you were to ask him what he believed about Jesus, he'd have quoted Jesus and said something like this. I can tell you for a fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Take my word for it. Anyone who believes in him will live even after dying. I 
Lazarus and living proof. So what does this story say to us? Well, first off, I can't think of a more powerful way for Jesus to show us that he came to give us life and to conquer death. So I guess the first question is, do you really believe this about Jesus? If you were here last week, you heard Barry say that the Greek concept of believing wasn't some sort of, some simple, rational, mental assent like we think of belief today. I wish I had time to really dive into this, but did you know that the word that, in the Greek that gives us the word belief and faith is the same word? Somehow, in the Greek mind, believing in something and having faith in something was the same thing. I, I don't know quite how to get my arms around it, but in their minds, when you believed something about someone, you also then surrendered your life to it and placed your faith in the one that you believed in. And that someone we're talking about would be Jesus. You know, there are a number of times in this passage where Martha and Mary refer to Jesus as Lord. Curious. And the scholars all say that this was simply a social courtesy that it didn't mean anything special when they said Lord to Jesus. But I'll, I'll bet you that after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and brought their brother back to them, when they called Jesus Lord from then on, it wasn't a simple social courtesy at all. It meant they had surrendered completely to the one who had given them back their lives by giving their brother back his life. And again, the question is, have you done this? Have you given Jesus the chance to give you life? Or you may be here today thinking your life is too far gone, that you're four days dead already. Well, this story tells us that Jesus can give new life to anyone, even those who it seems are beyond hope. Again, the question is, do you believe that Jesus came to give new life to anyone, no matter how hopeless that might seem? A few weeks ago, Marin mentioned that there was a direct connection between the first Egyptian plague of Moses when he turned water to blood and the first miracle of Jesus turning water to wine that Moses did, first did something that brought death, and that Jesus first did something that brings life. Well, that's also true of what Moses' last plague in Egypt was too. That last plague was to take the life of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And Jesus' last miracle was to give life back to someone who, from all we can tell, was the firstborn son in his family. Again, we move from life to death, or death to life with Jesus. And not just life for the next world, like Martha was assuming when Jesus was talking about this. No, Jesus is talking about life that is full and wondrous and joyous 
today. If this all sounds like too much to believe, may I make a suggestion? Would you think about attending Barry's Bible study for skeptics that starts a week from Monday night? It's going to be an opportunity to ask the hard questions about following Jesus and to think through the difficulties of our lives and faith and such. But you know, in the end, it's all going to come down to one thing. Do you believe that Jesus came to give you life? Bottom line, either he did or he didn't. It's just that simple. And I can tell you, as someone, as someone who at a period in my life, most people considered me to be four days dead. I am someone who can stand with Lazarus and say that Jesus was telling the absolute truth, absolute truth, when he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And this life is full and wondrous and joyous. And it's life both for today and forever and ever and ever. That's what he promises us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for this passage. I'm glad that John felt it important enough to give it a large space in his gospel. And through it, we can see that you sent your son to give us life. And it is so exemplified in his raising his dear friend into new life. And Father, that is why Jesus came to raise us all into new life, both in this life and for eternity. I pray that we will be a community that shares that good news into our very dark world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.